What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Cast to Podcast with Ronnie Moore. And today we have a special guest, one that uh, needs no introduction, but we will introduce him. And he's actually a coworker of mine and a hero of mine as well. And that's Tommy Sanders, the voice of Bassmaster for basically all of eternity, it seems. But <laughs> if, you. If, if you have lived uh, for the last 40 years of your life, you've woken up on the weekends, you've turned on the TV, you've heard his voice, and you already knew Bassmaster TV was on. So, Tommy, thank you for joining me on the, on the podcast. Thanks I know for it's, having me. Thanks for the invite, Ronnie. That's, that's, I'm flattered. Not a, pro- not a problem at all. Uh, so, Tommy, I started out my podcast with uh, the story of how I kind of got involved with media, yeah. doing high school video, going to college and do those different things. So, I've always I've heard snippets of your story, and I kind of wanted to know how did you get into what you consider commentating or just being a professional speaker? That's kind of like you're in the realm of you speak and commentate sports, but you've done commercials, you've done voiceovers for other things as well. Sure. Um, I've been actually driving down the road in East Tennessee, and I hear a, a convention's coming to town, and I've heard your voice on there <laughs> as a voiceover. So how did you get into that, and is it something that you wanted to do your whole life? I mean, it, well, well, yeah, it was. I, I really thought I, I'd like to do, you know, radio stuff and things like that. I was, a, believe it or not, a theater major in college. And my second year in college, after my sophomore year, I somehow, through working, we actually built our own college station there when I was a freshman and sophomore there. And I, I knew a guy who went on to, to become a program director at, a, at the, one of the larger stations in Little Rock. And he got me a job working summers there. And it was, it was like the... Uh, the album-oriented rock station, the first one in this this part of the little part of the world there is the hippie music, I guess, playing. And it was an FM station. There were very few FM stations in that day, so uh, so we could say that we were the number one. I had the number one show in the market morning drive <laughs> that summer because, uh, you know, they're in, in, because there aren't, weren't any other FM competitions. First there, cars didn't even have FM radios back. This was 1974. And... Uh, Went on, and uh, after college, I, my first job was working. I went to work for uh, the public broadcasting network in Arkansas, painting sets and running camera and stuff like that. And, uh, and went on, was in media always since then, and started doing, you know, uh, commercials on the side while I worked for an advertising agency a little bit later. So I cast myself in them. So <laughs> I exploited my job in order to get into that, and uh, I started getting a good bit of work from that. And just finally just, you know, Built a studio down here and quit my job, and we, we just worked there the whole time. I did a lot of videos, wrote a lot of videos for people here, there, and everywhere. So would it? I mean, would it say? Would you say that? Like nowadays, people look at YouTube and they're like, "I want to be a professional YouTuber. I want to just make mm-hmm. videos and do vlogs and do those things." And they just have that freedom. Back in the day, TV was really getting. TV had been started. Just a different era of it. Radio had been around, but just a different era of it. So did you sit at home in high school and and watch, you know, Howard Cosell or something like that? And you're like, you know, that's how you got your – that's the person that, you know, inspired – who inspired you as a high schooler to go to – to go do theater at, at, I believe, Hendrix College, right? Yeah, nothing. Just just watching movies, you know, as much as watching TV and stuff like that. And I really like the old sportscasters of the day back then, which were guys like Jim Simpson and – Chris Schenkel and uh, uh, Jim McKay, guys like that, I th- who I thought were very good, you know, at, at reacting to live sports and, and telling the stories and resetting the stories and, and carrying themes throughout all of that. And uh, those were kind of guys I admired and thought, you know, maybe if I worked real hard, I could, you know, get a chance to do that. And, and kind of did, worked out later. <laughs> So. so you were born and raised in Arkansas, correct? Arkansas, yeah, Magnolia, Arkansas. So you've been here your whole life. Uh, was there ever a connection with you and Jerry McInnes before 
his initial phone call to get you involved with his productions? No, there was a connection with a fellow named Mark DeLindy who had worked for a production company here in town, uh, shooting film, a very high-end kind of stuff, and uh, I knew Mark well because I did a lot of commercials around town and for regional and even sometimes national uh, advertisers and stuff like that, and, and I heard that Mark had gone to work for Jerry McInnes, and I'd known the fishing hole for a few years. I watched it, you know, because it was a syndicated program. It came out of Little Rock, so I could I could catch... But then I started watching after Mark went over there. Mark was working on real high-end film stuff. And I, and I said, I need to check out the fishing hole now that Mark's working on that. And I looked at it, and it looked like a movie. All fish, all fishing shows up to that point looked like they were all shot on reversal film, which is what they shot car wrecks and stuff for the news on. You know, this is before the days of videotape, which is just reversal film. You'd shoot it on that film. All you had to do was develop the film, and it would develop a positive image, and they'd put it right on the projector and show it. Jerry started shooting negative film, which is a more expensive proposition, and it looked 10 times better, uh, well, 100 times better. I mean, all the shots, I thought, man, oh, man, Jerry McInnes has to, and, and that was a big, that's a risk because that was a big investment for him to, to go into that, and, and uh, him and Mark DeLindy started making these beautiful, beautiful, you know, the fishing hole was always great, but now it looked like a movie, too. So that's, I knew Jerry, and then our studio was built around the corner from his old headquarters which is right across the street from where we are now and uh, he just called over there or, or, or somebody from JM called and said we needed somebody to come over and do some voiceovers for some tags and billboards and things like that and I, I got to know him that way and that's how you got to know so and also with that with the process of he did the show shows with he had to piece together that that footage it's not like like we talked about it he did one show a week for 52 weeks back in the yeah. day that's hard to do you know, a Zona show or Bassmasters, that's like a, a five- or six-man operation for a week or so turnaround, yeah, yeah. and he's doing it by himself every single week, not only catching them on camera, but helping with the whole production yeah, to get it there. He would have to go out, shoot the film, shoot the show, which might take a day, might take two or three days, you know, get the film processed, then get it to another place and have it transferred to videotape. They send him a, a VHS of the videotape with the time code on it, and he would sit there with a yellow pad, and make all the edits, you know, on paper. This is this shot goes here, and using those numbers, the time code numbers that are on there. He'd write the narration at the same time. He, he did. All, I mean, then he turned it over to the people who technically put it together. But you know, all the work was done by him. All the intellectual property, it was done by Jerry. And sometimes, like you say, fifty-two weeks a year, which I can't imagine. You know, thirteen weeks is is the standard for a for a show anymore. You know? He could probably go back when we're in week forty of the year. He could probably go back and tell you every single second of the first episode that year because he had to piece it together Absolutely. with time. He had to know exactly what shot it was. Absolutely. So that so you obviously had that connection with him for, with some voiceovers, uh -huh. but then there had to be a time where okay, I'm going to go and do this this role. I'm, we're going to transfer from you know some FLW stuff. You guys work together. We're going to go Bassmaster. Say so he's going to do that, yeah. and you're going to be his guy. Oh, what yeah. was that like that time? I mean. Where were you at in your life when the opportunity called to do that FLW TV stuff and then for it to, to change over to ESPN? That would have been in 96, I think. Uh, and I had already been working for Jerry. We'd been doing the outdoor block for ESPN because when he actually, you know, after I had a few little jobs with him, he said, you want to try out for this outdoor block? We're going to put all our outdoor shows on ESPN in a vertical lineup so we carry the audience over and this is revolutionary and we need somebody to do the bits in between. I said, I'll never get the job, but I'd love to audition. <laughs> Somehow got it. I, you know, I guess they were looking the other way or something. So I've been doing that for six years, and that's that's fifty-two weeks a year. That was every Saturday, and it later became different Saturday. sports and different different all outdoor genres, all outdoors, hunting, fishing, all of that. 
And, uh, you know, it'd be about, uh, it'd be about three and a half hours every Saturday morning, you know, with a, a bit every 30 minutes with me, you know, in the middle there from some location somewhere in America. So we've been doing that for six years. And then the Operation Bass people, uh, which Erwin Jacobs had become a part of, or I guess probably acquired at that point, came to Jerry and said, look, we're starting a new, we're starting a big time. You know, Operation Bass did the All-American and, and yep. some smaller, the, the Red, the, Man's, uh, everything the Red Man's, all that kind of stuff, uh, Golden Blend, all those little tours. And uh, they said, we're going big time. We're going head to head with Bass. And uh, they got Jerry and said, we're going to do a TV show. Can you get it on ESPN? And he's, he could, you know, because he had gained their trust. I mean, he is... He was well thought of at ESPN because he did all these shows for him and everything. And got it on ESPN, and uh, and so he hired me to, you know, I didn't know anything about tournament bass fishing. It was crazy, but uh, I hung around with Jerry, and I learned real fast, you know, because he had always, I think he'd always secretly harbored a, a desire to do tournament fishing because he'd been one of the original tournament guys back with Dan sure. and, and the Murrays and Roland and all those guys back in the day, and Tom Mann, you know, so, and, and, you know, they had, you see all these pictures of him with these 10 fish limits on stringers, you know, walking around competing against those guys. I mean, he was right. He was one of the, one of the dudes back in that day. So for someone like Jerry to, to be good at one thing in life, to be the best in a, in a certain field that a select few will be able to taste that and experience that it's very hard to be the best at what you do. But for Jerry, he, he kind of dabbled in so many things with baseball, with, with outdoors things and, and pioneering it all. So to be a part of that and to see his desire to take that to the next level, uh, you knew that tournament fishing was probably going to be a good endeavor if he was going to invest his oh, time yeah. into it. He yeah. can, cause he was a great storyteller. He was telling stories that hadn't been written yet that he was making up on the fly with his own show. So, to tell a story that these other guys are playing out in front of you, it's a whole different view. But a storyteller is a storyteller, no matter how what it is. Absolutely, and he he was he really had an incredible talent for that. And I, th I think I said it at, at one of the memorials for him. You 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 watch these old fishing hole shows, and he could do a show with the two number one names in their respective sports, Ted Williams and Bobby Knight, up in Russia catching giant. Atlantic Center. Yeah, that's going to be a blockbuster. It was a fantastic show. You watch the fishing hole the next week, it'd be him and his dog walking around a little three-acre pond out there pairing where his cabin was, just catching bluegill. It'd be just as entertaining. He knew how to tell the story, knew what to put in and what to leave out. That's, that's an awesome uh, moment to be able to work so closely with Jerry in the beginnings of this whole deal. Oh, yeah. But for you... You're a legend in your own right. <laughs> Everyone, and you're going you're gonna to be as humble as they come, and I'm not wow. going to let you do that because... Uh, Jerry had a legacy, and it's your guys' legacy is going to overlap, and they're always going to be connected. Um, but for people who know bass fishing, for people who grew up and put that Bassmaster sticker on the back of their window of their truck, they've woke up with Tommy Sanders every weekend. Sure. And that's me included. That's, that's a foundation of why I enjoy bass fishing. Does it, when did it ever hit you that your voice has kind of – carried carried the the waves for so many people you know like i could close my close my eyes and hear it come on and know oh it's it's bassmaster time to go you oh, know like yeah. that's that's got to be such a cool feeling to know that you've left that mark on a on a specific industry it was a long long time before i felt comfortable doing that you know I, i'd go to the i'd go to we'd go to every tournament now we do it you know from the studio here because it's all live and we get the live feed and, and the camera but you know i'd still feel like i'm not really you know i'm 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 going I'm just, you know, running in circles here. I'm not really getting the story. It was a long time before I felt like I was comfortable at, you know, opening up a show and, and, and setting the table 
and, and letting things happen, you know, and that's, that's what you really want to do when you do my job. You just want to set the table and then show people something fantastic that happens on the water and not let them have to talk. That's the ideal thing. But uh, it's, it has gotten easier through the years. So, yeah, it's, I, I, I can see why when people have been uh, subjected to my voice for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see why they might associate it. <laughs> like like when, when the dog hears a dinner bell, he knows <laughs> yeah. what that means. Pavlov's dog. <laughs> Pavlov's dog. You exactly hear Tommy's right. voice, it's time to sit down for an hour and watch That's fishing. Right. Yeah, yeah, I know what to do now. Okay. So I have some cool stories of just my times meeting you before you ever knew who I was and, and just as a kid uh, – it's cool that my first ever work event was the Bassmaster Classic in Birmingham, 2014, mm-hmm. Lake Gunnersville, because the first time I'd ever met you and that kind of atmosphere was in Birmingham at a Bassmaster Classic, and it was in 2010 when, when KVD won at Lake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to go to that Classic and got to see you guys do the, the sending it straight to ESPN that night out in the amphitheater type deal on the hooked-up stage as you and Zona. And you were out there at Beehive Creek and watching it all go down and everything, 11 years old or whatever. And I got to – I actually – that was the first time I was ever on TV because you could hear me scream in the background of a fish catch. (laughs) Oh, that was you. Yes. So, no, so that's cool that we – that I get to think back and share those memories uh, early in my life that have impacted me. Um, That's where I first met you. And then when I really first met you would be a couple years later at a college event, the the national championship. championship. Chateau. When you came to Chateau, yeah. uh, I, I was docked up talking to my parents, and you walked up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's Tommy Sanders. Like, I need to shake my hands. <laughs> we sat there. My parents took a photo. I'm always going to be grateful for that because oh, yeah. that's a cool moment of, like, just a conversation. I wasn't posing with you or nothing. It was just we were just talking. Yeah, because we were, we, were, we were waiting for the fog to lift from, yeah. from Chateau so to we start. Were, it was a great chance for us to all visit, you know. There's usually not that kind of time. And, and yeah. you know me. I'll talk paint off the wall. So to be able to share yeah. those uh, moments with you is cool to then get a call the next year and to work with Bassmaster and to be able to meet you in that capacity. That would have been 15? So it was uh, 14 was my first year, and 13 was the first championship we had at Chateau. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. 13 and 14, we got to share those that time at the championship. But uh, that's got to be there's, – there's a million kids that have had those stories, that have met their idols, met the Zonas, met the Sanders, met the Anglers, mm, whatever it is, yeah. and it's left a, a lasting impact. And that's, that's something that I get to bring that's cool is it wasn't that long ago – but gosh, I started when I was 20, so I was, you know, not long ago was five years. That's a quarter of my life, you know, yeah. and so as a, as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old to, to share those moments is pretty cool to see the behind the scenes and then to be able to now see how we do it. It's a cool process, and you got to, you were one of the people who started it from the beginning. So I wanted to also talk about that transition from Bassmaster to Bassmaster Live. Yeah. You yeah. guys probably got proposed that um, – you know, I wasn't here. I was a freelancer for my first two years before Bassmaster Live started. What was that like, the conversations in the conference room just upstairs from where we are you know, now? No, actually, it, it sort of took place at, at uh, U.S. Pizza. <laughs> That's where <laughs> US we went P- to Yeah, me and, and, and Steve Bowman and Mike. I guess Jerry was probably there, too. And, and we all, you know, they were talking about this new technology that was coming along. You put a card on a camera that sends a signal through the telephone system, wireless system, cellular system, in different component parts and reassembles them live back wherever you are here in Little Rock, you know, and and we thought, man, this this is what we've been waiting for. We've never been able to do a live. You, know, you can't string wires across the lake or anything like that, and we can do a live thing. And, and and we just sort of sat down and everybody wrote down their notes about how it should work, and that's that's kind of was the genesis of it. 
for us. And you got to work the first the first season a lot. I, I did. I and I had no idea what I was doing at that classic at Hartwell. Well, that was, my second we had Wheeler, classic, right? That Wheeler was that year, right? When we did Wheeler, uh, we did. Um, Wheeler was. Uh, or was that the second year of live? That was the second year of live. That was 2016. That's that was, when you kind of made your on-camera debut. Because we were, I was out there on the water taking photos, and I, you know, I had the opportunity with Wheeler, and then I think the event before that, I think there was a back-to-back weeks, Norfolk and Bull Shoals, and then Wheeler. Right, yeah. And I was on the leader in both of those, and the, 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 those and we guys got to didn't talk win. to you on the air, and, and me and Zona are going, man, this guy's good. <laughs> I didn't understand. Really good. I had no idea the song references Zona was thrown out oh, there God, about. Yeah. That was when, uh, I think it was when Prince passed away, so he was talking all about Purple Rain, and I was like, I, I have no that. idea what some of these songs are, but I'm, gonna let, I'm just having a good time. Uh, so Yeah, you, you, you did well. You got, your, <laughs> you got your, your moment, and you used it. You know, you did good. So what do you see now? We've, we're in our you know, fifth year of live uh, coming up next year. Every single year, whether there was another live broadcast or not, I've noticed from the people that work at JM, changing the game, whether anybody else is pushing us to or not. Those guys are just motivated. The editors we have, they're like, oh, absolutely. hey, it's a great show, but it could be better if we did this. We implement that. Awesome. And then it just looks like we're changing because other people are adapting as well. But we're, we, they would be doing this no matter what. And that's oh, yeah. what I learned yeah. the second I stepped in, in Little Rock. Absolutely. You know, in six hours, you, you, you have a nobody watches it for six hours straight, except for us because we're sitting there doing it, and, and you get – keenly aware of, of where you fall short and you know that's what you want to fix you know for the next show or the next season or whatever it is and i think uh, this past year with more cameras on the water more hours on the water with cameras and way more skype you know we're for able sure. to, to we got us a skype machine that is really slick and we can do a lot of skype and just including so many anglers and and you know catching them you know, immediately in important moments, you know, in the Watching day. them call on Watching Skype. Watching them yeah, call yeah. on Skype and, and getting to talk to them. And, you know, being able to talk to three times, would you say, as many as many oh, for sure in the course of a day as, as, we, as we did the year before. Those are the kind of changes. You, you know, you, you, you get frustrated by what you can't do. So you, unfortunately for us, the technology is becoming more and more available to change it and get better. All the time. Don't just talk about doing it. Actually do it. And that's what separates some people. There's probably thousands of people who had Facebook's idea but but Zuckerberg went through with it, and that's, and that's why he's yeah, you know like yeah. there's everyone's got an idea for live, everyone's got all these things, but the people who actually have just like, well, we're going to be vulnerable and we're going to do it, and then it's a big hit. It's pretty cool. There's plenty plenty of great ideas that have not came to fruition because mm-hmm. the other side of it. So yeah. one, before we uh, end up wrapping up, I got a few more things. So you've been everywhere in the world. You've been so many places on fishing trips with Jerry, oh, on yeah. timber sports, on. Uh, a lot of different shoots, superboat or power boats and superboats and air races and everything. What is one of the coolest places that you've ever been that you would love to go or you have gone just on vacation or just experienced again? What are some places that you've seen around the world that you're like, that place is always going to be in my memory. It's, a, it's an awesome trip. It's a cool area, and uh, I could see why it's a destination place. Well, Alaska comes to mind first just because – the first time I went there was in the winter. We were doing the Iditarod sled dog race, and you'd think, man, Alaska in the winter is brutal. It was gorgeous. It was fantastic. I mean, you just, it was breathtaking. Every minute of it was just something. It was like being on another planet. And then we went back, and we shot some stuff uh, in the summertime there, and it was, it was great then, too. Um, back when we used to do these, as we talked about, 52 weeks a year, the, the outdoor block for ESPN, and we had to be someplace different. We went out, out to Utah, to those national parks out there, and one of them, a place called Arches, which is just... 
it's kind of like Monument Valley that you see in all the uh, old westerns, you know, and, so, and it was just, and, and my wife and I have been back there lots of times, just load up the truck and head on out there and go camping. So it's, that's a place that, that I always go back to, that we sort of had a great time just shooting and, and exposing it for, it, it worked so perfectly in our TV show. I know that you probably enjoy the Badlands. Like, oh, we we got to hear about it and see that part on on live with Lake Oahe. Yeah, the yeah. Badlands right there in uh, Pier. But uh, I know that a lot of people enjoyed that region. So Utah is probably a spitting image of that kind of stuff. I've oh, never yeah, been yeah. In, in, in a little bit of a different way. A little yeah, drier, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So that's uh, some cool places you've been. Um, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten? Whether life advice and then career advice, like something that you've stuck with your whole life, and then something that's guided your your career in this outdoor industry? I think I can say one piece of advice that works for both. We used to, when we were doing this thing, of course, it was like herd and cast to get all these guys who did different shows to, to get together and, and, you know, submit our shows, get their shows on. They're in on time every week, 52 weeks a year, so we could put it together with the bits that we did. And uh, we'd have a big meeting with ESPN every year. Among all these, all these packagers would come together, all the people who put together their programs and the guy who's inspirational that Jerry worked with so hard to get everything done was a guy named Bill Fitz, who's one of, one of the pioneers of television, and ESPN had hired him. He had invented instant replay, as a matter of fact. He was that important. And he, and he took a special interest in the outdoors and put all, helped put all this together and everything, and we'd have a meeting, and all these packages would be talking back and forth. And one guy gets up and says, well, you know, this guy, his show over here, they get to show this and that, and, I, and I, so we, we're encouraged to not. And Fitz says, no, no, no. Don't worry about what you work on. If you just work on making your show better, everything will fall into place. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great rule to live by. Don't be worried about what somebody else is getting. You know, if you if think of the possibilities, if you just concentrate on improving what you're working on, things generally fall into place. Staying in your lane, just working, making your lane as best as you can be, and it'll be what it'll be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the end all that's going to matter. It's not going to matter what you had vis-a-vis someone else. True. True. So. Wanted to get some feedback from you. What is one thing that Ronnie Moore can work on, uh, whether it's Bassmaster Live, whether it's the interviews you sit over there? That's the most self-conscious I am ever in my life when I'm doing an interview or a tip video in the garage and Tommy's sitting at his desk. I'm sitting over there like, he would have probably said it way better or he like, you know, you're no, just in no, your zone. You're not, not listening. Think. But it's, the, it's that, that presence of like, I haven't seen you do a bad thing growing up, but then when when we're here, we see how actually, you know, there's not five takes. It you you nail it down the first or second time yeah. every time. Yeah. Well, you, so what's one thing that I could get better at? <laughs> well, you, know, you know, you you are living in an age where the the the, the TV that's going to matter is live sports TV. You know, people are just the fact of life. They're not in, in what they call anecdotal shows or something that was shot and put together documentary style. And, and you're getting the best education. You you just need to stay yourself, and and, and stay on that track. And 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 that's what you're doing. You're a sponge. You're you're sucking up everything. And you just have to, you just have to worry about staying staying with it. What you're doing a good job. Minding my p's and q's as well, and all and all well, that stuff. Like. Yeah, and just you know, your passion for the sport is is what drives everything that that comes out of your mouth. And that's a lot. Yeah, that is that is a lot. So uh, I told oh, we're gonna end it with this. I told my wife one day sitting on the couch, we were watching some. It might have been a, a nature documentary or something. And I just thought I thought about the moon, and she was like, I said, I paused the TV and I, I sat there for a second. And if I'm not talking for a second or two, she's like, What's wrong? And I'm like, I just thought about this. There have been less people 
or there there have been more people on the moon than have hosted Bassmaster TV. I said you've got <laughs> you've got Ray Scott, Bob Cobb, Jerry McInnes, Tommy Sanders, Mark Zone. Like there have been more people on the moon than have been hosting a Bassmaster TV show. So the ability to be able to work with y'all, and this was during the the first year or two of me working with live. I'm like. How honored is that? Like that, this is some awesome ground that we work on. This this studio, it's always going to be historical. It's always going to mean something. It's an honor to be here, and and to see how you guys conduct yourselves as coworkers, but also just leading your own lives. You guys take care of what you take care of. You don't work, worry about others. And like you said, your quote, your your life experience. That I've I've noticed that without you saying it. I've watched no. you guys that's stay in your enough. line, focus. Thank you. Thank and so, you so that's pretty cool. So coming from a 26-year-old who's been ate up with fishing for his whole life, you've set the tone, and, and I'm happy to be able to work with you. It's been pretty cool, and I know uh, even if I'm talking, I'm listening and learning from you because you guys are just awesome. So sometimes I just enjoy watching. That's why I hang around when the show's done and we're doing recaps or we're doing TV. I could be doing something else, but I'm going to sit here and watch because, like, that's what I was desiring my whole life. I wish I could go. be in the studio that day watching them shoot that show. Well, now I can, so you I can. do. Enjoy but, the moon. Yes, enjoy the moon. Again, before it starts getting too much pressure. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for joining me on okay. the podcast, Tommy. If you guys like this, uh, well, you, if you didn't like it, I don't really want to hear from you because Tommy is the man. So Talk one to of me. My, I'll, I'll, I'll filter it all out. Exactly. I'm going to worry about what we're going to do, and we're going to do it the best we can. But that was uh, another episode of the podcast with one of my heroes, mentors, and a legend in the sport of bass fishing, Tommy Sanders. That's great. Thank you, Ryan.